0: Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamborough and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland.
1: This is part three of our series about biblical justice. everyone, welcome to the podcast. You've got Richard and Amber with you today. Hello, hello. And today we are doing part three. We've been doing a series kind of like, what's biblical justice like? And we've unpacked a bunch of characteristics and we've got three more for you today. And then next week we're going to unpack the whole set and just think, okay, when people say, oh yeah, that's just, that's biblical, like, oh, are we giving the right answer? Mm-hmm. So we want to be able to use these characteristics as a filter that helps us answer those questions. So that'll be that'll be next week. Um but today we're gonna to unpack um a set of three. And again, I mean you could do a whole long class on each of these massive things. Um but we just wanna say enough that you mm-hmm. like you feel like okay, I'm kind of locked in like I'll learn more I'll explore more again, we'll chuck some recommendations to things you can check out in the notes um but the the set for today we wanna talk about um at the top uh is like what's the goal of justice mm. you know where when do we know justice has been achieved and and that we're gonna talk about restoration and reconciliation. But then there's two really important characters of how we achieve that goal. And they are mercy and generosity. And again, there's loads of things important that goes into this goal. But these stand out as like things that God emphasizes. So we're going to unpack those a little bit as well. So, I mean, can we maybe like pick up where we left last week's podcast talking about Philemon? Yeah. Because I feel like actually that's a really good example of like because um, you said at the time, right, we, we don't actually get the end of the story, mm-hmm. but from church history, we get these hints that Onesimus ended up, you know, as a prominent church leader, was restored to Onesimus, at, at least like not restored as a slave, but I mean like relationally yeah, restored, yeah, restored and and, and released to the church yeah. and restored to church leadership. Um, and the... the the problem, the tension, the thing that inhibited um, things from moving forward and being fruitful and flourishing got dealt with. So we have that from church history. And so, but, you know, you should, if you haven't listened to the last two podcasts, listen to those before you listen to this one, because then it will make more sense. But even if you listened, you might not remember the story of Philemon. So we should do like, here's our Amber with a quick recap of like, because the whole story just weaves together so many aspects right but you do get this clear sense of where it's headed mm-hmm. and and that restorative process that Paul is calling out for in in the letter so give us the i don't know the the trailer <laughs> yeah cheese
2: well like i said last week um Philemon is such a short letter that, pause this podcast right now, go read it, it's 25 verses, it's really short, um, but Philemon is, uh, there's so much packed in there, so Onesimus was has been separated from Philemon, Paul, on Philemon, on Onesimus's behalf, um, advocates for Onesimus with Philemon and says, hey, you have the power to do whatever you want with your slave, but I'm telling you um, that I'm using my power on behalf of Onesimus, saying I'm I, I plead with you, restore him as you would, receive him as you would receive me. Um, and Paul and Philemon are partners. And so Paul is saying, I want, uh, Onesimus is a part of this, um, of the kingdom now. He's, uh, he's one of us. He's a part of the fellowship. And so I want him to be received like you would receive me as a partner, Um, as someone who is a co-laborer with you, not underneath you, but with you, alongside of you. Um, And so we have this advocating for Onesimus and this power dynamic that Paul says that he could force Philemon to do what he wants, but Paul's not going to use his power that way and is kind of alluding to the idea that Philemon should not use his power over Onesimus in that way either. Uh, and should say, instead of forcing him back into that slave position where he belong, you know, quote, belongs, according to Greco-Roman society, he should use his power to elevate him to the same status that Philemon is, which is as a partner. In fact, even Paul says the same status as Paul is as a partner um, in the in the faith and in the ministry. So, so we have this... Um, uh, we have this really interesting dynamic that's happening here where the 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 power that Philemon has is called upon to be used on behalf of someone who does not have that kind of voice. Um, so so it's 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 really it's really really interesting how we see this restoration taking place. That restoration's not easy. I imagine that whatever happened to Philemon and Onesimus was not a, uh, a fun situation because mm-hmm. Paul makes the, it a point to say, if he has wronged you in verse eighteen or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So that leaves open the possibility that Onesimus has wronged Philemon. Um, so this restoration is not just um, you know two old friends coming back together. This is like someone who's lower than you in society is being asked to be your equal, and that person very likely has harmed you, and there's this element of mercy that needs to be shown to him. Um, But in that instance, Paul is saying, charge that to my account. So he's even lowering himself to say, hey, this is important that this restoration take place.
1: Yeah. It's interesting, like, just listening to that story, it's sort of triggering memories of other bits of the Bible. Like, I'm thinking of uh, King David and King Saul, Mm. right? Especially early in their relationship, like, Saul sees David as a threat, keeps trying to kill him, you know, like, really ugly. But David, like, what justice looks like for lots of phases of that story is David suffers... In order to try and get the opportunity out there for Saul to really learn what David's like, hmm. like I'm not a threat to you, I don't hate you, I don't want to kill you, and even yeah. showing him I'm not going to kill you, and then, and you know, and then we keep coming across this like, and then King like David was with Saul like he was before mm-hmm. that restoration of the relationship. Now, of course, like the corruption and the brokenness in Saul ends up like it just doesn't work. But even that is like, it just shows how much risk there is in affording the opportunity for restoration and reconciliation. Right. Right. David suffers a lot to create that opportunity. But the moments that look like, oh, things are right again. Justice Mm -hmm. has been done. Like, truth has been heard. You know, there's been fairness. There's been, you know. Yeah. Like, we feel like the resolution of the, the injustice is like, okay, things are like they were. The relationship's good. The tension's gone. The problem's been dealt with. Um, I just think how easy it would be for like, if Saul wasn't, sorry, not Saul, if David was a a modern American (laughs) to be like, well, you know, if Saul can prove to me, you know, that if I return to him, he'll actually accept me, then I'm okay, you know, offering room for reconciliation. But actually, the man after God's own heart, like there's, there's a God-shaped thing making space for reconciliation, like even though it harms, even though it risks, even though it costs a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's like justice is about reconciliation, but it's about a costly reconciliation. Yeah. Like those who are just bear the cost of pushing reconciliation forward. Yes. They don't charge others mm-hmm. with like, you need to pay up so you can be reconciled to me. Like it's it's a reconciliation that serves others instead of demands from others. Yeah. And yeah. so Dave is such a cool example of that. And that like that makes me think, like one of the verses I wrote down thinking like this is a key verse, because the word reconciliation is just like again, 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 it's like, okay, I get it. It's emphasized, yeah, yeah, you know? right. Is uh Second Corinthians, which I love because Paul is like talking about his his ministry, his methods of ministry. And in a way, actually, part of the tension existing between this Corinthian church and Paul is that they really expect Paul to operate a certain way as like a very privileged, entitled, use his power, use his dominance, you know. And they've got other leaders around doing that and they're very confused about how to interact with with Paul because they're like... You know, you just seem like like weak, ineffective, like we don't know how to respond to you. There's something unhealthy in the church where they've got used to unhealthy leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Paul just like sets the tone of like, my job is to serve and, you know, I, I give so much. And he wants them to understand the dynamics, but mm-hmm. that's like a whole like go read 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Right, right, right. (laughs) We're not going to unpack it all. But here's here's like a beautiful part of Paul explaining his mission and his methods and how they reflect what God is doing in the world. And it's uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Mm -hmm. So we've got that restorative mission of God. Like Mm -hmm. God is making people new and the new version is it's restorative it's like and things were like they were before there's mm-hmm. this like garden imagery of like god's missions back on track human purpose is back on track relationship with god is back on track all this is from god it goes on who through christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation mm. so it's like a it's like god in christ establishes a movement of achieving reconciliation through this sacrificial love. Hmm. And that baton, though, Christ descends, and that baton of, like, here, here's, like, the magic, w- like, this the special source that makes this work. Right. I'm putting it in your hands. Hmm. And that you is all of us. Like, all of us have been given this ministry of reconciliation, not just Paul. Yeah, right. Right? That is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. So it's like because of God's and we'll talk about mercy, because mercy is in there, not counting trespasses. Right. Get to that in a second. But yeah, God's God's on this mission, like I want the world back. He has to send Christ mm-hmm. to make his desire for that real and tangible and like actually push, like to break through brokenness mm-hmm. so that that opportunity can be sensed and interacted with and, and made real. But now our, we have that ministry of doing the same thing and and the power, the fuel, the ability to reconcile others is, is we've got the message of what God is like, that God is a merciful reconciler. Yeah. You know, and so it's supposed to shape our interaction with God, but it's supposed to shape our interaction with others. And just yeah, this uh, just amazing picture. Yeah. Yeah, you know, driving us. Um, I don't know, it's really easy to think, oh yeah, our job on our job on earth is to like be good Christians, maybe some like legalism or like evangelize, um, which can be for lots of different reasons, you know. Mm-hmm. But like I just want to see like churches full because I love the church. Yeah. Or I want to see people helped because like Jesus makes life better. So I want people to know that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's, there's like, it's not that all of these are horrible, evil ideas, right? Right. It's just that the driving 30,000 foot thing we pull out to is like what God is actually trying to do is restore. Yes. And that's, and that's part of his beef with justice Mm -hmm. is like, we're supposed to be constantly any power we've got. Is supposed we're supposed to contextualize it as, like, who's this for? Yeah. Instead of what can I gain with it? Yes. And, like, be reaching out to people, pulling them up around us all mm-hmm. the time. Um, and when that happens, like, something beautiful happens, like mm-hmm. restoration happens. Yeah. Uh,
2: restoration, That's that's funny. That just makes me think of the reality that, you know, like you said, those things aren't bad things. Like, God makes life better, and we really like church, and... You know, but, but to talk about restoration, you have to talk about brokenness because you're not re- restoring something that's already fine. Um, and it's a much more palatable and, you know, Western society to just tell people that their lives can get even better. And, you know, like there's, there's things that are so good for you. And that's not, not true. Uh, life in Christ is, is, um, is amazing, but. But before you can recognize how amazing it is, we have to come to terms with the fact that things are broken in the first place and that um, that when we think, you know, big scale about restoration to the Lord and restoration back to our Creator, um, we have to recognize that there's a brokenness there first, and that's much harder um, to come to terms with. And if we don't come to terms with that, then when, when you know, as Christians, if we are looking at our Christianity maybe more two-dimensionally is just... Uh, you know, kind of a life enhancement sort of way of looking at believing in Jesus and following Jesus, then when we're called to do justice, we have a two-dimensional way of what that sort of restoration is going to look like. And we have to recognize, you know, not to speak too much to last week's podcast, but about that, we have to recognize those power dynamics. And when we haven't responded well with in those dynamics, and um, we have to look at when we haven't acted equitably, uh, and we have to we have to be honest about those situations in order for res- true restoration to take place because if we're trying to be restored to somebody who either we've hurt or who has hurt us if we're not acknowledging the reality of of that pain and that need for restoration then restoration can't really happen it will be this surface level band-aid over the bullet wound sort of tried tried you know attempt at a response and um, and it won't won't bring that true restoration uh, that took place in um, and to, to speak a little bit to mercy and how mercy plays into that, because when we think about justice, there's usually, um, like this mercy kind of forgiveness thing that needs to take place. As you were talking, Richard, I, uh, remembered the, um, parable Jesus taught in Luke seven, um, about the two debtors, uh, and where the, the, what the story that prompted the parable was, um, when Jesus was eating with the Pharisees, uh, and what does it say? Um, uh, a woman of the city, is how the ESV puts it, um, who was a sinner, um, came and poured ointment on Jesus' feet um, and and washed his feet with her tears. and
1: uh, Such a good euphemism. We'd say a woman of the night. Yeah, right. Or something, right?
2: <laughs> um, so... Uh, then the Pharisee who invited him said to himself, oh, "If this man were a prophet, he would have known who this woman was, um, and, what, and that she's a sinner." And Jesus, obviously knowing knowing his thoughts, says, "Hey, um, Simon, I have something to say to you." And then he goes on with this parable. And geez, if Jesus ever turned to me and said, "Hey, I've," and honestly, when I in my prayer life, sometimes the Lord does kind of you know, as I'm talking to the Lord, he, he says, "Hey, um, I have something to say to you." It's kind of like a whoop. <laughs> Something's about to happen. Um, and, uh, and he says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will he love more? So, I mean, so the one who uh, canceled the larger debt. Um, and so so just the recognition of, of the forgiveness um, and the mercy that's extended to this woman recognizing her brokenness and recognizing and she because she recognized her brokenness before the Lord um, and Jesus responded with this merciful then she's going to understand the restoration that's taking place the restoration that I've um, brought into uh, and, and bringing into the world she gets it because she understands the brokenness um her brokenness and and that's not to say that uh, that Pharisee's brokenness was greater or lesser than the woman's, it's the awareness that he was missing. Uh, because comparing brokenness is a futile uh, endeavor, but Jesus's point is saying, you're not recognizing the, the great, um, the the sinner in you, you're not recognizing that brokenness, so you're not going to understand the restoration that that's taking place. And so, so we see, um, I, I think mercy when it comes to restoration is not something that like screams itself present. Like it's not something that goes, hello, I'm here. I'm mercy. You know, power does that. And so when it's easy to point out power stories because power is a, hey, I'm here. Look at what I like, look at who I am, what I am, what I have. Um, And, uh, and mercy just doesn't do that. Mercy is much more gentle and quiet. Um, and so when we look at instances of mercy in scripture and, and how that, um, is essential for restoration. It's just, yeah, it's just an interesting, um, dynamic that when we're called to be merciful, that is a complete opposite of being powerful because when you're powerful, you don't always want to show mercy. Um, but, uh,
1: being merciful is, is very close to forgiving Mm -hmm. and it costs, you know, Mm -hmm. um, One of the interesting things, like, I meet a lot of Christians who say, like, well, you know, God forgave me, so I've got to forgive others. Like, you should be motivated to forgive others, to show mercy to others based on some kind of, like, guilt avoidance. Mm -hmm. When actually what that means is, like, uh, I often, like, use an illustration like this. So, like, if I stole a 20 from you, Amber, Mm -hmm. and then you wanted to forgive me, you'd still be down 20. So one way forgiveness could work could be like, we talk about it. I'm like, I'm really sorry. I'll give you the 20 back. And we've put things right and restoration in that way can restore the relationship. And that's kind of like, I've got a Bible example in Exodus 21. Uh, When a man opens a pit and digs the pit and does not cover it and someone's ox or donkey falls in it,
3: Mm -hmm. the
1: owner of the pit shall make restoration. Give the 20 back. Give the money to its owner. And the dead beast shall be his. It's like, we need to put things right. Yeah. Right. Um, but the mercy part on your part, you know, is not that like, well, you know, God's forgiven you so many 20s mm-hmm. that how dare you not forgive Richard? Yeah. Actually, the dynamic is more like because Christ has taken on him any 20s that are owed, he'll do something about. He's created a freedom that if you want to say like, man, I'm down a 20, mm-hmm. Jesus says, don't worry. I got you. Mm-hmm. You can go forgive Richard. Yeah. Right. It's actually like Christ's, the mercy we receive is supposed to empower us. But it's interesting because it also makes me think about how, you know, I'm very aware there's there's a, a way of talking about mercy in the world when it comes to justice. Mm-hmm. That is like, yeah, like reconciliation is important. And, like, how we do that is, like, people need to come to Jesus and, like, receive his mercy. Mm-hmm. And then when, when they're right with God, then they can go around putting everything right themselves. Yeah. And, you know, actually, that's, that, and that can happen, and there's biblical examples of that, but it's not the only thing that happens. Mm-hmm. And a great example of this is Abigail. Mm. Like, awesome, awesome Ooh. character in the Old Testament, right? Yeah. So she's the she's the wife of this, like, just nasty piece of work, ne'er-do-well, <laughs> just jerk of a guy called Nabal. Oh, yeah. And he treats David very, very poorly. Not just poorly, but unjustly. Like, he's, he's not fair. He doesn't honour the reality of the situation. Basically, Nabal's got his head stuck so far up his own behind that yeah. he just, he doesn't know how to act. And so there's a problem. There's an injustice that's occurred, and now there's like a tension, and and so there's a need for restoration and reconciliation because otherwise he's going to die.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, you know, Abigail steps in, and she comes and ple- and she advocates. That's from last week, on behalf of Nabal, and says, "Look, I know he's an idiot, but okay." we're going to have to ask them to be quiet and pick up.
2: Bug crawling around my screen, trying to catch it.
1: I kept trying to wipe the bug off my screen, and I realised it was actually punctuation. (laughs) So Abigail intervenes Mm -hmm. um, and and advocates. That's from last week. Yeah. So she approaches David and kind of asks for forgiveness on behalf of someone else. Mm -hmm. And says, "I want to put things right on behalf of my husband." Mm-hmm. So I want to put things right on behalf of someone else. So she works to receive, sorry, to achieve reconciliation restoration mm-hmm. beh- and restoration. On behalf, enable still, a, he's still a nasty piece of work. He's still yeah. a jerk. He's still yeah. being stupid. Yeah, you know. And and God actually honors that in the storyline because later on in the story, like God's giving. Nabal opportunity to come yeah. to reality and he doesn't story. and he dies <laughs> yeah but David and Abigail in this situation like David extends mercy by receiving restoration even though it's not from the person we've got the ideal of like Nabal will restore himself mm-hmm. and that is good to want mm-hmm. like that's not bad that, and that's right. clear by how God deals with Nabal right. but it is okay to be restored by an intermediary, mm-hmm. and I just think you know that flies then in the face of our modern sort of demand we sometimes hear of like well, no, like if that person's gonna be right, mm-hmm. you know mercy is conditional on them pulling them up so up Ooh. by their bootstraps. And putting things right themselves, mm-hmm. we'll give them opportunity to do that. Ooh. And it's like, no, I mean, that's great when that happens, but restoration can look like someone else. I mean helping put the situation right and we if we're like King David and Manza after God's own heart, are then supposed to treat that person as if we have reconciled with them? That's and there's restoration, right? Well,
2: that's hard, and that's hard because you're hitting on something that I have felt myself. Of oh, well, they just need like it, it's we putting put sometimes put too much on other people, but that's kind of the whole story of Scripture, right? Is people trying to reconcile back to God, and guess what? It really doesn't work. And not that it to people, not that people can't reconcile, you know, on their own, but. But when we expect them to do that, we're forgetting the fact that we've not been reconciled to God on our own on our own merit at all. Like we 100 percent needed Jesus to come and be that intermediary. So we see Abigail functioning kind of as a type of Christ, showing us what Christ was about to do on behalf of her wicked husband. Like she's not because we talked a lot about last week on about advocacy for the vulnerable. Um Nabal, I wouldn't necessarily consider he's vulnerable in his own way, but he's a very, very wicked man. And so when she advocates for him, that's very much so how Jesus advocates for us, because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were still in that Nably place, Jesus came and stepped in on our behalf, taking what we deserved so that we would have the opportunity. And it wasn't even so that every single person who ever lived will 100% choose Jesus. We know that's not the case. We have lots of people in our lives. I'm sure we're praying for that. There'd be that reconciliation. So Jesus even did that, not knowing, well, not, not, well, being aware that this was not a 100% guarantee that this was going to bring every single human into reconciliation, but he did it anyway for the joy set before him. So, so it's crazy to think that we and I'm so guilty of this expect other people to just figure it out and get their restoration in place um, without without there being help and advocacy. Um, that then I turn around and I go, oh, well, that I definitely needed that with with the Lord. Yeah.
1: And you think about the extent of that, like how much should we insert ourselves in someone else's life and how much should we expect them to do it by themselves? Mm -hmm. And you just go to like, well, how does Jesus treat us? Yeah. Well, he inserted himself in our lives to the extent that he sent the spirit to take up residence in our heart. Like you can't get more I'm going to insert into your life. So it's like the Bible blows the lid off are feeling like we have to limit the extent to which mm-hmm. we can be involved in bringing about reconciliation and restoration of of people mm-hmm. and situations. Yeah, right? and there's
2: always and there's always the you know the wisdom of it. You know, like so I heard a pastor say once, "The Holy Spirit's a gentleman, so the Holy Spirit doesn't force his way into people's lives with a heavy yeah. hand. So if someone clearly does not want your help or want want to be restored." Um, there's obviously, they're not, we're, you know, hopefully going to be respectful in that instance, but the Holy Spirit's always present. Yeah, The Holy Spirit's never, when someone turns to the Lord, the Holy Spirit doesn't go, mm, yeah, but you know, there's no, yeah, but it's like, okay, good. You're here, you know? Yeah. And so if, if there's that resistance that like Nabal is, a, this is such a good example there was that resistance from Nabal, but how do you turn? The Lord was there. It wasn't that the Lord wasn't present. It was like, well, you, you still have your free will. You have your intermediary, you have your free will Mm -hmm. and you have the Lord waiting and David waiting that, that reconciliation waiting present. Um, so people still have their choice to say no, but, but in the same way that the Lord doesn't push us away while we're while we're saying right. no. God we cares don't.
1: about Nabal as well, Yeah, but he's, he's showing mercy and trying to bring about justice is not conditional right. on Nabal initiating or right. anchoring this act mm-hmm. or this process, rather, of restoration.
2: Right. So us being present for people without forcing anything, but being present with yeah. them and among them so that we can I mean in the same way that the lord does for us and I'm sure other people we could name other people who have done that for us too um
1: do you know what it makes me think of like have you watched the chosen
3: Mm-mm.
2: no I know I know yeah, so to. I've I only watched to. a
1: couple of them but one of them and I really like the way they've portrayed Mary Magdalene and it's sort of like adding to the story and enriching it but it's a really good illustration of this principle where she is you know uh you know struggling with demonic influence Mm -hmm. that's destroying her life and jesus wants to restore and heal and what actually wants to restore her to her friends and her family and the community and Mm -hmm. all of that plays out in the drama of her interactions but she's so broken she keeps pushing that influence away Mm -hmm. and jesus kind of wears her down Mm -hmm. you know and i just think you know in the modern world, it would be so easy for so many Christians or churches to treat Mary Magdalene different than Jesus and be like, well, you don't want it then. Hmm. That's the now it's all on you. Yeah. And it's like there's a mercy, the kind of mercy is it's not just like a one offer.
3: Yeah.
1: Right. If I'm yeah. going to be if you're if you're being horrible to me, mercy doesn't mean I'll give you one chance to <laughs> say <laughs> you're sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. like that's not mercy. Because mercy is about removing the conditions of I'm going to extend forgiveness and reconciliation, goes back, and, and not yeah. extend it unconditionally, but I'm going to extend it in the way that I will work to reconcile. That's what the extension of mercy, it, you know, it opens the door for this reconciliation mm-hmm. to happen. And yeah. so, yeah. I, I'm yeah, I'm just aware we're so guarded with our mercy in the West right. and, and in the modern West especially. So, should we talk about mercy? Like some verses on mercy. Yeah.
2: Mercy, mercy. Yeah. I mean, just even to what you're saying, that's really funny because I just pulled up um, Matthew 18 verses 21 and 22. Um. Uh, yeah. This is this is a gosh. All of Jesus' parables are so so good. Um, when Peter comes to Jesus and says, "Lord, how often should it, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him?" Um, as many as seven times. So it's kind of like Peter's doing what you just said, Richard, where he's going like, just just a couple of times? Do I forgive my brother? Um, And it's funny because we think of this, and then, well, let me finish it. Jesus says, not seven times, but 70 times seven. So so basically infinite amount of times. Now, I've always understood this verse as meaning like, oh, like in general, I'm going to have to forgive lots of people for lots of things. This is actually, Peter said, my brother. So he's talking about one person. How many times do I forgive one person? Um, and Jesus says, lots of times. You don't. There's not really this end point of forgiving this one person, and then multiply that one person by all the people who are in your life, and honestly, people who are not in your life, because people can be really harsh and mean who don't know you. So it's not just people that you know. And so, and then that leads to the parable of um, uh, a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Um, one was brought to him. This is in the exact same passage in Matthew. Um, who owed him 10,000 talents. Uh, And then skipping ahead, the servant fell on his knees. Have patience with me. I'll pay you for everything. I'm sure another word for patience there uh, could be like, have mercy on me. Please, you know, give me some grace. I'll pay you. I will. Um, And then out of pity, the master said, I forgive you. This debt is, this debt's canceled. Um, But when that same servant went out, verse 28, he followed one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii and seized him. So let's go back. Ten thousand talents, and then one hundred denarii. And so those are some, uh, some. Uh, yeah, yeah. So a denarii. Do the exchange rate. <laughs> yeah. Right. One hundred denarii. A denarius was a day wages for labor. So that'd be a hundred days of labor.
1: So it's a significant amount, like a third, yeah. third of a year's salary for like an average worker.
2: Right. And the talents talents is um worth about 20 years wages for a laborer
1: so now we're talking like billionaire <sighs> yes yeah
2: yeah so way 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 less like like just an incredible amount less um he seized him began to choke him and said pay what you owe so this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him same thing fell down pleaded have patience with me i will pay you but he refused and went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. So, and then obviously that came back around and bit him a little bit because uh, they were distressed and went and reported that to the master and the master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Yeah. Um, and then there's some, some, uh, he obviously had to deal with with the repercussions of that. But it's the, it's that idea of mercy of we've been forgiven so much and the Lord has shown us so much mercy. So then what does our mercy look like when we yeah. extend that to other people?
1: I think it's really important as well. This is why the difference between the aim being reconciliation and the aim just being forgiveness is mm. really important. Because sometimes it's like, well, if I'm supposed to have unlimited mercy and someone just keeps hurting me, Mm -hmm. do I just keep acting as if there's no problem? Right. Like, no, that's not what mercy looks like. Right. Mercy looks like I'm going to work towards reconciliation without limit. Mm -hmm. And, And that my working towards reconciliation is not limited by whether this person has warranted it. Because I actually want to alleviate suffering because mercy is wanting to alleviate suffering whether someone wants it or not. Mhm. I just I just want to alleviate the suffering. Yeah. And it's theirs and mine and our relationship's suffering. And and if all we think the aim is is forgiveness, then it's just like I'm supposed to have this like bottomless well of just absorbing the pain and the hurt like mm-hmm. the 20s. Yeah. I'm just supposed to keep like giving up. Yeah. You know, with this person. But if the aim is reconciliation then forgiveness opens the door. Mm-hmm. It's like an important block in reconciliation, but it's not reconciliation itself. Right. And so working towards reconciliation and having bottomless mercy can also look like speaking the truth and challenging someone, yeah. Yeah. treating someone differently, setting boundaries, like lots of different things.
2: Mm-hmm. And forgiveness is also about not letting not holding on to the, the pain yourself. So someone, you know, causes you pain or harm or trauma, and those are very real things. And sometimes forgiveness isn't, like, like you said, just letting it keep happening to you and the trauma to keep happening. It's saying, I'm going to release this person, I mean, in real reality, to the Lord and say, I'm not going to let this affect me in this way. And that, but in doing doing so in such a way of saying, I don't hold it against you, Um because I'm letting the Lord be the one to deal with this, not me. And so forgiveness doesn't mean saying, oh yeah, come on back in, welcome back in all the pain and hurt. It says, I'm not going to take it as my job to then force you to be, to be right. It's not, I'm going to, I'm not going to try to wield some sort of power and force you, you know, the, the, the wonky justice that the world talks about, which is revenge. You know, forgiveness is saying, I'm, I'm relinquishing the, the revenge sort of feeling that I get when the pain and hurt happens, mm-hmm. I'm leaving that to the Lord who is perfectly just and perfectly um, loving, who is love, who is justice, who is all of these things to handle that. Yeah. I'm taking the forgiveness and mercy and saying, I'm not going to try to do that in my human flesh to try to wrangle, you know, wrangle that in out of someone. Um, so yeah, that's a really, really good point, Richard.
1: So let's, because um, we keep talking about mercy um, <laughs> but like, like, let's allow it to float up from the scriptures a little bit as a theme, which I, th- I think you can't help but read your Bible and not notice. Mercy is a recurring theme, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, just on a like base level, it's kind of shocking how many letters in the New Testament begin and end with grace and mercy to mm-hmm. you. And um, you know, grace is a related concept, but grace in the ancient world, in this sort of culture. If you were in a grace relationship, it meant someone with power who who could benefit you had undertaken to use what they had to care for you. Hmm. So if someone says, hey, I extend grace to you, they're not just saying, I wish good things for you, but they're actually undertaking to be a, a provider and a carer for you. So that's the tone of like God to us. But the other important tone is realizing we've done so much to disqualify, to throw mm-hmm. grace back in God's face, to, you know, to yeah. shun God's gracious attitude, which is there right from like the beginning of the Bible. And and not just before the fall, but straight after the fall, God is being gracious. Right. The need for mercy is because humans keep throwing grace back in his face. And so... Um, yeah, it's there. And I, I really like, well. As, here's a couple of verses from Psalms. I mean, mm. one's really familiar, Psalm 51, this penitent sort of psalm. Um, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, mm. which shows us that it's love that drives the ability, because mercy is a relational concept right. and it's driven by love. So, like, what does that mercy look like? Um, that's driven by love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions and wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So it's forgiveness leading to restoration. Mm-hmm. So it's all in there, all in that verse. I love it. But but so often mercy, love, forgiveness, like the these concepts get wrapped together. So even though the word mercy doesn't occur in the same way in psalm 25 i really love this uh remember your mercy O lord and your steadfast love for they have been from of old mm. so like from as far back from like history that was a cave painting on a wall god's mercy and steadfast love like, they're not new with God. No. It's been the tone of God towards humanity from of old. I just love the historical rootedness of that poetic phrase there. Like, that's that's God's mercy. And then you do get the same sort of dynamics then of like, don't remember the sins of my youth or mm-hmm. my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness. Yeah. So, like, these things, like, this is, it's not second best. It's not like, oh, well, good is when people pull themselves up by their bootstraps and, like, really earn reconciliation. Right. It's like, no, this isn't an extension of, like, what is good about God. Like, and it would be good about a human if they acted this way right. towards others. So, just, I love the way it brings brings goodness in as well. So, and, man, the, i just picked two Psalms because it's there's so many uh, there's so <laughs> so so many and not just in the psalms all the way through but it's a tone setter right for how we like what's god's like how do how do we react and respond mm-hmm. and see and perceive god like if we don't root ourselves in these dynamics we're going to completely miss the storyline of what god's trying to do and how he's trying to do it yeah. we're going to end up being legalistic or um abusing power or you know Yep. Turning it into like empty religion, or just all the things yeah. that go yep. wrong all the all the way through the scriptures. So, really important. Um, but that's that's kind of God towards us. But then it's like, okay, but what about like mercy? And, and I think we we Abigail, like we've used some examples, yeah. David, well, of like mercy as a part of how you know Saul's trying to kill King David. Like David would be. In a way, justified to turn around and shoot an arrow back and kill him. Yeah,
3: yeah. And it's
1: like, well, dude, you threw the first punch. I. Yeah. It was self-defense. You know, the fact that David doesn't do that, he's being merciful to King right. Saul. I mean, we have the profound example where David, and the weird thing, David even feels like he has to repent of this, I know. where he goes sneaks like like Saul's in a cave taking a whiz. Mm. And David sneaks up behind him and and then like doesn't kill him mm-hmm. but steals a water jug, and it's just like I want I want you to understand I'm merciful towards you, yeah. But it's just like I shouldn't be, like e- I shouldn't even be trying to, I don't know, like use sarcasm and my power over him to make him feel small to accept my mercy. Like yeah. that's that's not what it's about. King David even feels bad about that. But Kinda another of great tangible example <laughs> of mercy. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, man, and that's, yeah, that just reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount, right? When when it's like, sure, he, he, he's responding that way because it was in his heart, you know? And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, like, even if it's in your heart, your heart matters. What goes on in your mind and heart matters.
1: Yeah. Um, or even, like, Jesus on the cross.
2: I was just going to say, I was going to say, hit the culmination, record, right? the culmination of mercy, I think, uh, one, yeah, one of the biggest points is this moment, for yeah. sure.
1: Like as they are killing him, Mm -hmm. like, not before, but as they are killing him, he says, Father, forgive them. They Mm. don't know what they're doing. Right. You know, just, what a superhuman, and it is, it's Mm -hmm. like the spirit-empowered ability in that moment to be God, though a human vessel, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, And actually, I guess, It rocks our world to show us the extent to which mercy can be shown, but also reminds us that the ability to be merciful is something that is driven by God. It's not a legalistic expectation. Mm -hmm. It's a call for us to be like, oh, God, I need you to to fill me with your spirit and empower me to be Mm -hmm. that.
2: And I think that that's really key because I think we do this all the time with Scripture, right, where we look at something Jesus says or something Jesus does and we go, well, he was God so obviously he could do that you know we see that Jesus forgive on the cross and show mercy and and ask his father to show mercy and we go yeah well he's God so and so we have this like cop out that we that we give but Jesus was human like he was fully human just like us Hebrews talks about this and says Jesus is your the the example we can we can do it because Jesus did it and so we see that that like you said the spirit empowered ability to to show mercy like that we don't go well of course he could do it cuz he's god no we say he could do it and he's the the true human that i'm modeling my life after and in the same way that he had the spirit we see the spirit descending on him in his baptism we have the spirit on us in 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 the in the same way to be able to to show mercy to others so we we have to be careful we don't cop out and go, well, he's God. And we go, well, no, he's also fully human. And we're f- obviously fully human. And so we can say, okay, Lord, we say, Jesus, you showed me how to do this. Holy Spirit, help me be able to do this. Yeah. The Spirit is given to us. We know this because Jesus talks about it in the Gospel of John. We have the Spirit as to guide us into truth. And truth is 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 showing mercy yeah. when it's really hard. I mean, Jesus is literally dying. He's dying on the cross He's, uh, and crucifixions were nothing, uh, were nothing simple. Um, and in that moment, it's not that he's looking ahead at his, uh, at his crucifixion saying, Oh Lord, I'm not going to feel this way. So I'm going to say it now. Like father, I don't feel this way then, but I'm saying it now. He says, no, in the moment, in the hardest moment, fighting the desire to, to, to cast judgment on them. Instead he goes, father, show mercy on them and i think that's huge for us that when we don't feel like we i can't i mean i can't speak for jesus obviously but i can't imagine that he wanted to with everything in him to show mercy in that moment yeah. as his hands are nailed to wood hanging there in fr- humiliated yeah. that that is in our in our darkest moments when we feel like we can't do it we say holy spirit help me
1: yeah.
2: help me here because i it's not just when we feel like it that we yeah. should show mercy it's when and we don't
1: i wonder how much it's like trying to do it just by ourselves, that means we go for the second best. Because you can try and achieve reconciliation by, like, demanding and using Mm. your power and challenging and saying you need to step up. But, you know, like, that can happen. We're not not saying that can't happen. It's just that God makes prominent in his way of achieving justice Mm -hmm. and achieving reconciliation mercy. You know, and there's greater risk in it And it might not work out, Mm -hmm. but God keeps doing it. Like I love this in Romans 2. Paul says, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? The word mercy is not there, but it's these same concepts of like, I'm going to treat you this way. So it's like God is showing this kindness, forbearance, patience. He's showing this mercy, extending that space, bearing that cost. And people can presume on it. Mm-hmm. people take God for a ride. Yeah. They abuse it. Right. But it the verse goes on like that like do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Mm-hmm. So God sees the risk of abuse. He sees that people throw grace back in his face, you know? How? But oh,
2: God is so good <laughs> but, that he but, lets that. Yeah, he, continue like, to happen.
1: And and uh, again like as human beings what we often do is we we feel so desperately insecure mm. and weak we don't realize the riches we have in christ because we still me- measure whether we're rich by the wrong metrics by the world's metrics um and so when it comes to it we uh we we feel the need to protect ourselves from being taken for a ride so we are cautious to extend mercy and I think in the power dynamics that we, yeah, we talked last podcast, I think, about like the way we sometimes live as if we're in competition with each other, like extending mercy to someone else means I'm using what f- culture says I should use to get myself ahead, to help someone else get ahead. Like that's just trying to lose the race, you yeah. know. So we've got all these cultural dynamics that stand in the way and like and you can f- achieve forms of restoration and sure. forms of like justice, that way but God's way is so much more radical that's the thing we've got to get through our thick heads is like if we're going to engage our culture in a conversation about justice and if the church is going to show up and say this is what justice looks like isn't this beautiful come this way we have got to do it God's way and God's way is just different if you want someone to repent like the the doormat leading into that process is showing mercy Mm
3: -hmm.
1: like that's phase one and again it's not the only thing mm-hmm. but we've got to get that in front and center not like oh well we'll do that after we've tried these other things and as a last resort right. or if someone's earned it and then it's not even really mercy anymore and you know just <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no, but it's... i think this time because i want to i want us to get to the, like the last characteristic here the something we have to get to achieve restoration but really comes so close to mercy is generosity. Mm -hmm. Like if we have a stingy attitude, if we do not feel like we have been set free to give, Mm -hmm. then mercy will always be hard to us because mercy does involve kind of absorbing the cost of like a 20, right? Mm -hmm. But mercy and generosity, for for there to be true restoration, say I'm stealing the 20s from you because I'm hungry and I haven't got any money, right? Back to that again. Yeah. Like what true restoration of me, not just us and our relationship because I stole from you might look like, might be you going, do you need another 20?
2: Yeah, right. Right?
1: right. So so it's just these two come so close and they really empower each other. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of interesting to me that like, you know, in the American church, you know, America gives a lot of money to good causes, to missions, to things like that. Right. But America is very rich. Mm -hmm. When you look actually like per church, per head, like actually America doesn't give as much Mm. as the rest of the world. So it's like America actually does have a problem, like statistically with generosity. And I'm not saying like our church, not point anything. I'm just talking in In big picture generalities here. Like our culture actually struggles with mercy also struggles with generosity Mm -hmm. interesting because i think the two are really connected and so i mean again like generosity so we can't do a whole hour's chat yeah you know on generosity but like a key thing for me actually relates it a little bit to power again Mm -hmm. and that is that like all the stuff all the resources the time the energy the emotional strength like Heart, I have to give all the things that go into me being generous, like they're gods. Yep. He bought me and my stuff and my life and my opportunities and all of it at a price. Yeah. He he purchased it and he's and and then he put in my hands everything he had. Mm -hmm. So it's actually it wasn't God isn't a taker. Mm -hmm. He like took everything of me and then put in my hands and said, "You're my steward." Yeah and if we would just get this idea of stewardship of just like i mean it just it changes the game like we we're not managing our resources under the narrative of how can i be more secure or how can i be yes. more comfortable or how can i have less risk and that's cuz we already have those things that's what seek first the kingdom of god means
2: and that's hard because that's the american dream yeah is to have is to keep gaining and gaining. And sure you give a little bit, but you're not really giving a uh, totally because you get a little bit of a tax break. And I'm not yeah. saying you shouldn't get a tax break. That's its own thing. But, but what happens when you give to somebody who you don't get a receipt for, Yeah, you know, you give something that, um, someone needs, like, you know, I've heard so many stories of people giving cars to other people Yeah, in those instances, you don't really get a As tax missionaries, break people did that. that for us. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so, and so it's, it's this like, that's not, but that's not what the world tells you. No, you need to keep gaining stuff. So the, and then you need to get a bigger house for your stuff and then you need to retire earlier so then you yeah. can have more time with your stuff. And let's just say not stuff because the big thing for millennials is, um, is experiences. So sure. I don't have stuff, but I go and travel all the time. I yeah. go experience the world and, and not that you shouldn't do those things. This is not saying you shouldn't have things that you enjoy or go places that are fun, but it's the proportion of, what have, of how are we doing that at the expense of those around us that are hurting and yeah. that are in need.
1: Yeah, because part of what our stuff is for is to sustain our life and help our life be blessed and flourishing. Yes. Right. But that's not all it's mm-hmm. for. And it's, this is the yeah. thing with biblical theology. It's really easy to say, oh, that's in the Bible. Yeah. And then be like, yeah, but that's not the whole story. Mm-hmm. And, and stewardship is such a freeing thing. Like, it's not just... It doesn't just help you be generous. It helps when you feel the risk on your resources. So, like, one of my favorite phrases is sometimes, like, you know, something breaks on the car and you're like, ah, we haven't got money. Like, ah, what, you know, what should we do? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I just pray, like, well, God, if you want to spend your stupid money on this stupid thing, then I guess <laughs> that's up to you. Because <laughs> it's not on me. And there's freedom in that as well. And so with the generosity comes, comes a freedom. But here's the thing, like... God's like we we tend to think of being generous we use this word last podcast as being super erogatory it's like mm-hmm. above and beyond the call of duty right like manage your resources steward your life well have have stuff have like a clear retirement plan like buy that second home have two cars 2.4 children you know yeah. have the American stuff that makes you feel secure and then like generous is like, you know, and, and if you're able to, mm-hmm. you know, if you feel comfortable enough, then, you know, you don't have to. But a really cool thing to do would be to be generous. And
2: sometimes we do that even with the you'll feel better. It's actually good for you to yeah. do that. But
1: like, and which it is. It it's is. Just but the but thing is, the in the scriptures, <sighs> generosity is mandated. Yeah. It is obligatory. Yeah. Like God affirms the widow giving two mites yes. because she is generous. It's part of our worship to God yes. that we act as a steward. And we act as a steward not just with an attitude, but with what we do with our stuff. Yeah. We have to put feet on it and walk it out the door.
2: And this, this a small way that this kind of, in my life, lo- what it looks like. So I, when I went to college, again, this is a really teeny tiny example, but this has stuck with me for years. Um, when I first went to college, I had. A brand new car, pretty much. It was not just brand new, brand new, but it was very nice. It was new to me. It was, you know, in great condition. I was very proud of it and um and I really didn't want anyone ever to touch it, drive it. I drive people around sort of, but it was kind of like, no, nah, it's is my thing.
1: They had to put um, newspaper on the seats before they sat in it. Yeah, like, like
2: sort of like don't <laughs> eat in my car, you know, make sure you don't scuff it up, you know. That sort of that sort of thought. And it let, let me just make this clear. It was not like an expensive car.
1: No, it was it wasn't just a Ferrari. No, It was no. nice to a college student. Car. Yes.
2: It was a little Toyota. And actually I still have it now <laughs> because I did take good care of it. So it's, I still have it today, but at the time I was so stingy about it. As if anyone asks, Oh, can I move your car? No, you can't touch my car. You know, and that sort of thing. I don't remember who it was or where I think I was listening to. Um, I mean, at this point, I don't think podcasts were as popular when I was in college. So it was a CD of a pastor preaching. So essentially a podcast that I would play in my car. And uh, and I was listening to it, and um, the person said, "Our stuff's not ours. Your car is not." And he literally, this is what he said: "Your car is not yours. Your car is the Lord's. So if someone needs your car, you don't stingily say no." And obviously, again, you know, footnote: there's wisdom. If some, you know, there's wisdom in that. You don't just like give anybody your car for anything. But friends, if a friend needs your car to move. And that's another thing, generosity with moving. Ooh, don't even get me started there. If someone needs your car, or needs your truck, or needs something that you have to move, for example, moving is awful. If, you, if anyone's ever moved in their life, which most everyone listening, I guarantee, has probably moved at least once, it's really hard. And instead of saying, "Oh, I'm not gonna," this is mine. I don't know if you're gonna scuff it or or ding it or you know, if you if you touch my or whatever, but it just was so convicting in that moment. Mine's yeah. not mine. So that I'm given this awesome thing, a moving vehicle that gets me from one place to another really quickly. I'm supposed to use that to, and my small 18 year old brain was like, oh, so I've been really stingy with this thing that I've been given. And again, there's wisdom in how we share our things, but it was like, oh, I don't need to be so, jump down people's throaty if they try to ask my car, ask me for my car or ask me to drive them somewhere. Or, you know, I get to, I get to, it was like a whole brain shift for me of, I get to choose to use the things that are mine yeah. for other people. Like my stuff, like my house, I have, you know, I'm uh, well, my apartment. I have things in my apartment. I've, you know, nice furniture or whatever. If, if I get weird, cause I heard someone say once they didn't want, um, someone sitting on their couch because they didn't want someone getting it dirty and I was yep. like "Oh, the same thing like I, I have the reason I have like, what's a couch for yeah like I have yeah. a couch so that I can invite people into my home and, and say hey let, let like a safe place like a refuge I want to be in the same way the Lord has provided me his church and himself as a refuge I want to create a space of refuge for people to come and meet Jesus and so my stuff is all geared towards that general I mean I'm not perfect at it at all I mess up all the time in this area but it started with my car when I was 18, yeah. the one thing that I had that was mine, living in the dorms on top of everyone else, the one thing I had that was mine, the Lord very strongly convicted me and said, let that go.
1: And it's about understanding, I mean, you're talking about stuff, but money kind of yeah, it's yeah. similar thing. Like, what's it for? Yeah. And we have this Western idea that what money is for is hoarding to make ourselves feel safe. And like you can I'm not saying don't have savings. Sure. But right. like what money actually exists for is to be spent. Mm-hmm. Right, and yeah, God might give you that money to spend on helping your kids at college, which means you're going to put it saving accounts for the next twenty right. years. So you know, it, it, I'm not saying don't have saving, it, but it's just fundamentally, if God's giving you money, like the purpose of money is to be spent. Yes, and you it doesn't mean die with it doesn't mean <laughs> spend it all right now. <laughs> right, but you There's should wisdom. be. If you're not asking that question, you're misunderstanding what God's doing by blessing you with money. Yes. And yes. I, I like that. so like here's a, an example of like how this like responding to what we get works out in Deuteronomy 16, and it's the festival of weeks. So God says, "Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain, and then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God mm-hmm. by giving a free will offering mm. in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. So you're supposed to look at how God's blessed you. And then have a generous spirit of like I want to part of my worship, part of my honoring the like the actual relationship. I mean, as a steward of God, is to give, um, and it's supposed to be something where it it actually helps us to rejoice. Yeah, it does. Right, because yeah, it's actually leaning into the freedom of being a receiver mm-hmm. instead of a hoarder. Yes. So then, rejoice before the Lord your God at the place He will choose as a dwelling for His name, and then like that generosity, like that giving, this celebrating, this like who 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 does that generosity extend to? Mm-hmm. And now it's the really interesting list: you, yeah, of course, your sons and your daughters, yeah, we're good with that in our culture, like yeah. we do that. Um, your male and female servants. Well, yeah, well, I mean, I pay them wages. Like, do I, do I have to give a bonus? Do I have to invite them for dinner? Do right, I have to like, right. s- you know, what? Mm. The Levites in your town. So it'd be like the people who work at your church. Yes. Yep. <laughs> right? Uh, the foreigners, like the refugees, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. Mm. And then it all boils down to, because you've got to remember, you were slaves yes, in Egypt.
2: You were that you were foreigners, you, you were should poor, you,
1: were you should <laughs> understand what it's like and yes. that's part of the context of like we talked about forgiveness of why god says like i have forgiven you forgive other things like that mm-hmm. it's like you know what it's like to have guilt and shame that should drive a compassion in you yes it's that for others, centeredness and it's the same thing with the giving it you know what it's like to be in need so be generous right. like it should this should make it easier for you to see who to be generous to and how to be generous so, so I, I, I love the way that that these pe- this people come into the foreground again of mm-hmm. like the ones who are in need, and I love the proportionality of it. You know, it's a very it empowers us right. to see ourselves as steward and really think about what we've got. Yep. And the the other thing, like, because it's close by in Deuteronomy, well, in the Torah, <laughs> uh, it, it crops up there. But really, it's this year of jubilee.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh.
1: Because then I think about like. Okay, but how radical is the generosity that God, again, this isn't God's generosity to us, which is mind-boggling, but the the generosity God mandates of people who are his. Mm-hmm. And so the year of Jubilee is like, yeah, you got slaves, you know, or land that's held in trust because, you know, someone owed you more than they could pay. So now like you've had to, what's the word? Like when the bank takes your house. Um, Foreclosed, Foreclosed. like some land yeah stuff like that right Right. um every seven years there will be this year of jubilee where you will actually give back that land and Mm -hmm. give back that life to the slave and not just give it back it's not just like you rock up at work on monday and be like hey you slaves you're not slaves anymore yeah but you will release him and his wife and the kids they've had while they've been slaves with you and give them money to go and this is the restoration part again. Go start life over. Yeah. You will set them up to have a life. Yeah. Like what a radical generosity. Not not just like letting people go from being a slave. Right. But actually putting them in a position where they don't have to be a slave again.
2: That's that kind of that's that equity piece. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I and that just to To do it, I mean, yeah, sure. Once every hundred years, maybe. Or like, you know, like to do it this regularly, it just feels like this is going to destroy the institutions of foreclosure and slavery. Right. And God's like (laughs) behind the curtain going, (laughs) yes, Yes, (laughs) (laughs) that's part of what I'm doing. I'm eroding these things. Yes. But the way I erode them, and here's the thing about justice, the way I erode oppression. Mm. Is by making mercy and generosity staples of the way society treat each other. Yeah, and so yeah, ge- generosity is just a, a a massive one. And again, it kind of blows our mind. Like the it's not an extra thing; it's a normal, like it belongs in every life thing. Yep. But and and that's where I, I love the profound, you know, like whoa, my could I be as generous as like the Jubilee, Mm -hmm. you know, through to, I can be like, it's okay. I can be generous like the widow. Like there can be joy and purpose in that general, like God's, it's not measuring by amounts. It's measuring by our attitudes, but it is proportional. If our attitudes are working, you know, if you've got a million dollars in the bank and you're tithing $20 a week, it's not proportional Yeah. unless right. God's given you some weird purpose I don't know about, which, yeah, it could be true. But, right. <laughs> you For know, sure. uh, but just like it, it is also proportional. So it's mm-hmm. so generosity, but it empowers justice. It does. Right. Ju- the kind of justice where you don't need slavery and where people are being treated with dignity and mm-hmm. freedom and and, like and words that are so deeply rooted in the American psyche that come from Scripture. Right. It's like, yes. And, and the thing that makes that a reality is generosity.
2: Yes. Yep. One hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Rather than. And, and that's just I mean, I'm just going to throw out the term. We'll maybe talk about it next week. But that's like the whole man, we can't mandate giving because that's socialism. Mm hmm. And like, well, what God's talking about isn't socialism means a lot of different things to a lot of people. And like it's not just it's not it's not a political thing. It's a social thing. And but there's there's a resistance to generosity, which baffles me among people who read their Bibles. Yeah. So so this is a big one. This is a big challenge for us. I feel like
2: it is really hard for sure. But it's important. Yeah. So, And that's the thing. Jesus did not say life was going to be easy. He did not say these things would be easy. He said yeah. the road is narrow and it's hard. Pick up your cross was not some froofy saying where we tie a cross around our neck as a necklace. It's it's like, no, it's, it's dying to yourself every yep. day. And part of that dying is being generous when you really don't want to. Because I'll be honest, there are times when I really don't want to be yep. generous.
1: And but when that cross, that cruciform life is on mm-hmm. our shoulders as a yoke, here's the magic of it. Jesus is under there with you. Yep. And that's the thing that makes it work. Yep. This is not a call to a hard life. This yes. is a call to a beautiful life full of freedom. Mm-hmm. With, hard moments, With hard, hard moments, but the hard moments
2: that turn around and our life in abundance, abundant, eternal life is what yep. Jesus promises. And if this is how we get there and it feels hard at first, it's worth it's worth doing. Yeah.
1: Well, that was a long chat, longer than I thought we would do. <laughs> but we managed to talk about loads of stuff. So there we go. So we have talked today, generosity and mercy and reconciliation or, or restoration, uh, and we've so the last three weeks. Now we've got a set of things. And next week, the chat we're going to have is we're going to look at kind of conversations about justice we see playing out in our mm-hmm. world, and kind of ask the question like, what's biblical? Yeah, you know, what do we affirm? What do we not? What's miss? Like, allow the biblical truths we've we've looked at now to hopefully speak into reshaping the way we participate in those conversations. So we're looking forward to that. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by Jesus Church College based at Westside Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders Through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation we combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college to find out more go to ajccollege.org or follow us on instagram to find out if this is where god could be calling you to explore your calling if you've enjoyed this episode please leave us a review subscribe and share it with someone And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20 second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from, along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.